Cleveland Schmooze is sponsored by the Cleveland Jewish News. Get the latest news and information from the Cleveland Jewish News delivered right to your inbox. Choose from breaking news, daily headlines, community life cycle notices, arts, events, highlights, and more with our free e-newsletters. Sign up now at cjn.org slash e-signup. Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. We're your hosts. I'm Rachel Rood. And I'm Robin Rood. This week, we are talking to Leslie Robbins, a social worker with University Hospitals. She told us about growing up in an interfaith home and getting married to an interfaith partner. She also discussed what it's been like working in a hospital setting during the coronavirus. In keeping with social distance guidelines, we spoke with Leslie virtually through FaceTime. Leslie Robbins, thank you so much for joining us on Cleveland Schmidt. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we like to start every podcast by learning a little bit about um, our guest's Jewish upbringing. So can you tell us a little bit about yours? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up on the east side of Cleveland. My Jewish upbringing was a little bit unique that um, I was born um, into an interfaith family. So um, my mom was raised Episcopalian and my father was raised Jewish. Um, His side of the family has a long-standing Jewish history here in Cleveland as I was reminded many times throughout my childhood that, you know, typically the religion comes, is passed down through the mother. But, um, you know, my dad, when he met my mom, stressed that, you know, he was, it was really important that the kids be raised Jewish. And, you know, my mom thought she was raised Episcopalian, but didn't have a huge attachment to, you know, the idea that our kids still had to be, you know, raised that way. And she talked to her family and her family just said, you know, what, as long as they still have a faith, um, then, you know, that's what's important to us. And so we fully respect, we fully respect and embrace that and, um, have been fully embraced by my family. So, you know, growing up, we you know, obviously we celebrated, of course, all the Jewish holidays. I've been going to Sunday school since, you know, since kindergarten. Um, uh, I did all the way through high school. I never actually had a bat mitzvah. That was something that wasn't as common, you know, when my father was growing up, family didn't feel like, you know, that was kind of something that was necessary for my Jewish upbringing, but um, still fully still respect though that the importance of a Jewish education more so in just still in learning, you know, the values um, and, you know, being part of the culture. So, um, but yeah, did Sunday school, um, kindergarten through 12th grade, um, went to and Camp Temple. Um, uh, we ended up at Temple to Ferris. Um, once I graduated high school, we to continue to go to high holiday services, then we ended up going with my grandmother to Fairmount Temple. Um, and then, you know, actually through, you know, uh, Shelly, um, you know, got involved with the TEED. And so that's been great, you know, getting to see um, B'nai Jezrin. My sister right now is actually back over at the Temple to Ferris. She uh, teaches Sunday school over there. So, hmm. you know, little connections all around. And you were about to say you went to Camp Wise, right? Oh, yes. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, did, I did do, yep, I did do Camp Wise. So that was really neat, though. Um, with my family, I mean, you know, very encouraging. Um, but I think it was really neat when, you know, my when I wanted to go to camp and we found Camp Wise introduced into the, being embraced into, you know, Jewish culture was a new um, experience for me and something I absolutely loved. And it was very neat to, you know, be a part of that community in a way I really hadn't before. Um, you know, growing up in my city in Cleveland, 
Um, there were a few Jewish kids around, but, you know, not a lot. It was always really, you know, kind of being the minority. Um, also not going to, you know, Hebrew school after school. Um, I didn't get to know, you know, some of the other Jewish kids as well um, from Sunday school. So um, that was a really wonderful experience. I'm so grateful that my um, parents supported me in, in getting a lot of Jewish education that, you know, I still very much so remember today. And it's a big part of how I live my life. So my daughter, Shana, said you were in her cabin at Camp Wise? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so are you between Shane and Shelly's age? Yes, um, because I am 33 turning 34. So I was I graduated high school in 2004. Gotcha. And you mm-hmm. were at Brush? Yes. Mm-hmm. Brush High School. Okay. Coming from an interfaith household, do you remember feeling like, how did that make you feel growing up, like compared to your other friends who might have come from a, a fully Jewish background? It was definitely um, a learning experience. So I still remember one time, um, you know, being, just, I was five and hugging my mom in the bathroom because I was confused. I was like, mom, am I, am I Christian or am I Jewish? And she's like, you're Jewish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I was like disappointed for a second because I, you know, thought that affected me. I think how I was believing in Santa Claus at the time. Oh. Um, and I felt like, I, I just felt like, you know, I couldn't relate to maybe, you know, the other kids in my, you know, kindergarten class that were all you know, fully believing in Santa, but um, right. I still love the way that I grew up because, um, you know, as I just kind of learned to embrace it and that, you know, I am a minority, but it is something, you know, special and unique about me. And it's a religion that mm-hmm. I love. Um, it was something that I could teach to my classmates and, um, you know, just still be, you know, very proud of my Jewish heritage. Um, I still got to celebrate Jewish holidays, but when, you know, when with my mom's family, you know, celebrate uh, Christmas and Easter, um, just the traditions of it, but, um, you know, never, uh, not the actual, you know, values behind it. Um, but I love that, you know, I got to participate in the fun of that. And I still feel like it was, you know, a great way to be exposed to other faiths, um, in a way that I may not have, if I was in a family that was, you know, fully Jewish. And I think mm-hmm. also, you know, my mom was, you know, so glad that we were Jewish. And I kind of, I was, thinking about like how when we were little and she wanted us to do grace around the table and you know she didn't know hamotzi and my dad I don't think I'm not sure if he knows hamotzi but my mom would always have us say the prayer um you know god is good god is great and we thank him for our food by his kindness we are fed give us now our daily bread and that you know it was a prayer that she learned up growing you know growing up in a christian household um but that still you know embraces the you know monotheistic point of view and those are all still jewish values and um, even though it didn't, you know, directly come from the Jewish tradition, um, it still has, like I said, you know, the Jewish values that you can, you know, still find amongst, um, you know, people that are outside your faith. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it just kind of helped me look at my Jewish faith a little differently and still see, you know, where I can practice it in all different areas. I'm curious, Leslie, when you were deciding to choose a partner, and mm-hmm. we should say that you just got married um, yes. in January this Beautiful year. Beautiful wedding. Thank you for including us. It was a good time. Um, uh, Justin, who's mm-hmm. a chaplain, actually. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were thinking about choosing a partner, did religion play a part in your mind, or were you always just very open to whoever just entered your life? Um, I think, you know, both. Um, I definitely, you know, did try JD and did try to see if I could find a 
um, Jewish partner. And I think there are obviously are, you know, many benefits, many wonderful parts of that. Um, but when it didn't work out with those individuals, um, I did start expanding my search. Um, you know, still kind of looking for someone that was Jewish, but also, you know, looking for someone who, um, you know, at least would be open to dating someone of that was interfaith. Um, and, you know, actually when I found my partner's profile, um, you know, he said that he worked in healthcare and I said, okay, well, I work in healthcare too. There we'll have something in common. And then on our first date, um, you know, he told me that he was a chaplain and I was like, oh, and you know, he explained me more about what they do and how they, um, you know, encourage, you know, faith to be a part of healthcare, all faiths. And that, you know, he is an ordained minister, but he talked to me a little bit more about what his beliefs were. And he said, yep, I would be, you know, open to dating someone that was Jewish. And, um, you know, hearing that, I I understood that, you know, he was definitely a unique person and a very special person. Um, And then, you know, obviously more I got to know him, I realized that he had, um, you know, the values and the characteristics that I was taught growing up to look for in a partner. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of when I realized, you know, no, I won't, you know, I may not have a, you know, a Jewish spouse, but I can still have someone who, um, you know, can support me in my faith, which he, you know, absolutely has. And he has gone to temple with my family. Um, he, you know, even bought a yarmulke. My own, you know, father doesn't have a yarmulke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he, um, he just kind of like how my mom found, you know, the beauty in my father's religion is also, is just very respectful of, you know, um, and very embracing of the commonalities between our faiths. Um, That's nice. When you subscribe to the Cleveland Jewish News, you receive 52 issues of the award-winning CJN and 15 total magazines, including J-Style, Canvas, and Balanced Family. Try the Cleveland Jewish News for free. Start your six-week free trial at cjn.org slash six free. Let's talk about your job. So you're a social worker mm-hmm. with University Hospitals? Yep. Um, I started with University Hospitals back in 2017. Uh, I started with their um, emergency psychiatric access team who do assessments of any of the patients that come into UH and are in a psychiatric crisis. And um, mm-hmm. after the doctor would you know, medically clear them, um, then the social workers you know, talk to the patients and assess a little bit more in terms of, you know, what level is their psychiatric crisis? Are they safe to go home or do they, you know, require further treatment in an inpatient setting? So we would talk to the patients, talk to their families and make that decision and then help work to find them um, the resources that they need, whether that is inpatient or whether that would be, that would be outpatient. So that was a very exciting, very demanding job. It's a 24-7, 365 uh, profession, um, you know, learning all about, you know, the different hospital systems, learning about, you know, being involved in pediatric needs, geriatric needs, um, you know, substance abuse. Um, it was a good exposure to, you know, a lot of the, kind of the different systems that are out there. But in 2019, I saw an opening for a emergency department social worker uh, with UH um, at a nearby hospital. And I jumped at that chance that I was looking for, um, you know, an opportunity to you know, be a little bit more autonomous in my role. So wait, are you at a Hoosier? So no, I'm actually, I'm over at Richmond. 
Oh, um, nice. Yeah. It's a hard job being it a social is. worker. Exactly. But I took social studies classes in college at Ohio State and yeah. thought about it for like a second. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I cannot do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what I love, though, about like where I'm at right now, because I feel like it, you know, I still think, feel like I've got, you know, like anyone, you know, places to go, but it's the perfect kind of niche role for me of helping, of using a little bit of those child life skills of helping people adapt to the emergency room and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, talking to them about, you know, where their current situation is, um, you know, helping them, you know, get some understanding of the the hospital system and just and the healthcare system in general. Do you work with all the agencies in the community? Like, Jewish Family Service or the Catholic Charities or Frontline? Yeah. Um, mainly in my role, I mean, I'm, I can, I can work with all, with, with all those resources. Um, I'm still in my first year. Um, so I'm, you know, still excited to see, you know, what opportunities with patients, you know, come up. But my main role in the ER, um, you know, actually is to come in and assess the geriatric patients. Um, whenever anyone comes into the ER and they're 65 and over, um, I make it a point to go in and see them and just kind of talk to them about, you know, what's their living situation. Good for um, you. Thank you. Um, we, you know, what, what are their needs? A lot of them don't, you know, a lot of them are okay. They've got, you know, they've got family support. They live in apartments where they don't have to do, you know, they don't have to do stairs. They're aware mm-hmm. of, you know, different transportation services that are out there. Um, a lot of them are not aware of all of those needs. And sometimes right. maybe had, and someone hasn't had the chance to talk to them about like, you know, are, where are you getting your meals from? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you getting to your doctor's appointments? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, every day is kind of different with, um, you know, what I see from those individuals. Um, if sometimes people come into the ER and um, they're not safe at home for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, I definitely have seen kind of child abuse cases and domestic violence. I've also seen cases of mm-hmm. people that have fallen, just fallen at home and need to just go to a different setting. Um for a, a temporary time of, of some sort of rehab. And then that's also my job just to help facilitate that. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely we're still seeing the opiate epidemic um, and that's something that I intervene in, um, you know, when that happens, making sure, right. you know, that there are different resources that are available. So how are you handling the COVID business? I don't mean to interrupt. No, that, no, that's okay. Um, COVID, it's interesting right now because ERs actually nationwide are seeing a lot less patients. Um, hmm. which is a surprise to some people, but as people are being encouraged to stay home, um, it's actually, it seems like it's causing a lot of people to reevaluate where they're getting their medical care and what their level of need is, because a lot of emergency room use is for, sometimes it's for, you know, chronic conditions. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, sometimes it's the first place people go and get their medical care, maybe right. rather than maybe their primary care doctor. Right. Um, obviously we still, you know, have a lot of patients that are coming in for a variety of needs, but my caseload is definitely a lot less than what it was a month ago. And geriatric patients especially are concerned about leaving the home. So I'm not oh, seeing them gotcha. as much. Are you doing any telemedicine? I, I'm i not because really my job is really to just see, um, you know, the ER patients. I'm sure definitely elsewhere in the healthcare system that is happening. Um, but, and I mean, I still do get calls from the community. Um, I, you know, people that I've met before when they were in the ER, they'll call me. But um, up on our medical floor, we are definitely being encouraged to, um, if we you know want to talk to a patient that's hospitalized in a room, um, we are trying to call into them um, and, mm-hmm. and see them. Um, that still is kind of logistically having to be worked out because a lot of times we're working with older adults who are hard of hearing and maybe are not hearing their phone mm-hmm. or they said, wait, no one knows my number. Who's calling me right now? And <laughs> <laughs> not answering their phone. Right. So, 
Um, we're doing the best we can. We've been told really just to use our judgment into, you know, kind of what rooms we need to go into. Are you concerned? Are you concerned about like being exposed or like, are you wearing masks and that kind of thing? Um, I do have a mask um, that I wear. Um, my emergency department, you know, I feel really grateful to be where I am. I really like, you know, like I was saying, I'm in this perfect niche right now and I'm in the emergency department. That's very grateful for me. And I really appreciate it that they're glad that I'm there um, because there's been times where they haven't had a social worker and they, they realize, you know, the benefit that I provide to their department. And they're very much so like, you know, we still need you here too. We want you here and, and, and safe. Um, mm -hmm. Make sure you have a mask. And sometimes I'm like, but you guys are, you know, the ones that are in the patient's faces. And they're like, you know what? Yes, we're at a shortage right now. You know, take a mask. Um, right. I do try to limit myself as much as possible from um, coming into the ER that, you know, before prior to this happening, I might a little bit more freely just go into the ER and, you know, have talk to the nurses and, you know, build that relationship with them. Um, these days I do try to, if I don't have any patients, I'm trying to social distance a little bit more and just be in my office. But yeah, but I'm definitely in a place that's protective of me. Um, it is difficult right now. There's a lot of um, employees that are working from home that, you know, were a part of our system and we miss them. And it's, you know, healthcare, like any job, it's stressful. And when you have people though, that are you know, on the front lines with you, that's always helpful. So um, the ER staff, I think, is grateful of there. There's been talk of moving my work to home. Um, mm -hmm. It still hasn't happened yet. And, you know, myself and other social workers I talked to, we really don't want it to happen. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing a little bit about your life with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Keep in touch. Sounds good. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cleveland Schmooze, a podcast produced by Rachel and Robin Rood. Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.